Good morning. I haven't seen a lot of these faces for a while. Deanne and I have been summering in, in the Anderson, and it's good to see you. It's good to be here. Uh, if you are a visitor in this place, uh, you have just walked into a place of a vibrant congregation, and we're glad you're here. I want to point out a few things that are in the bulletin. The first one is that uh, there's some attendance pads on the sides of the pews, and we'd ask you if you would grab that attendance pad and, and uh, sign it and pass it on down. Uh, we want to note that there are some flowers donated every Sunday, and these, these flowers donated here this Sunday are uh, in memory of General Allen Glenn, uh, given by Aggie Glenn. We appreciate that. Uh, in this congregation, we have a, uh, a bias towards making a difference for kids. And you'll notice in the, the bulletin that the youth will meet tonight at 6.30, as they do every week. And uh, all youth are invited, whether they come to this church or not, ask a friend to come. You'll also notice that in a couple of weeks, we're going to do the Epworth, Epworth offering uh, to help with a, a growing and, and uh, unusually large number of children in trouble who are housed and taken care of by the United Methodist Church in Columbia. And that special offering will take place uh, on September the 13th. We also have a bias in this place for taking care of the people in the community. And you'll notice in the bulletin that there's some urgent needs for the three agencies. The two of them are noted in the bulletin, uh, Greer Community Ministries, Greer Relief, and Daily Bread Ministries. These are three things that work together in Greer as a team take care of people who are really in need and in and, and any way you want to get involved, any three of those agencies are there and we can help you uh, with through the church to donate to those locations. Also I wanted to point out a couple of things that are going on regarding uh, outreach projects. Uh, one thing that's important is that the United Methodist Men, which is a resurged group in this, this uh, congregation, uh, is involved in a lot of outreach projects. They're working to raise some money and doing it through feeding our congregation in a pancake supper uh, coming up in a few weeks and you'll see some some men out outside uh, looking looking to sell tickets um, also the, you'll see that we're still engaged in our fight for cancer we've got some very active members in our congregation who are are leading this uh, relay for life activity we have a golf tournament coming up if you know somebody who likes to play golf or if you like to play golf we hope that you'll sign up to join that golf tournament on uh, Tuesday, uh, the, uh, no, on, on, yeah, on Tuesday, September 29th. Uh, and the last thing is my eyesight has been failing the last couple of uh, years, and I noticed in the bulletin that I'm able to get a large print, bull, a large print hymnal. Is there a large print hymnal available that I can get from the ushers? How many of you knew there was large print? Large print. Yeah, I'd like to have one of those. And if anybody else wants to have one of those, raise your hand. There's some large print things. Are they in the pews? Okay. And, and I didn't get one, but I read in here it said I could ask for one, and I thought I would. Well, we'd like to invite you to join us in our worship service now.
turn to page 881 in our hymnals and we'll say together as a people of God the summary of what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and like to invite children to come forward now and spend a few moments together with Marnie Dumas. Samaritan. Have you? It's kind of a big word, isn't it? Samaritan. That's kind of a big word, isn't it? Well, we're going to talk through this story this morning and see if we can figure it out. Um, do you know what happens in the Good Samaritan story? Do you remember? Okay, good. I'm glad you don't remember because I can teach it then, right? All right. So what happens is they are there's a, a group of people, and they're kind of the experts during Jesus' time, and they ask Jesus some questions. And they ask him one question, and they, they call him teacher. And they say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does that mean? What are they asking? If we're going to inherit eternal life, what do all those big <laughs> words mean? What are they asking? What do you think? If we're going to inherit eternal life, eternal life means we're going to live how long? Yeah, forever, right? I mean, a bajillion, gazillion years, right? So we're going to live forever. So they're asking Jesus, how do we get to live forever with you? That's what they're asking him. And do you know what he says? He gives a long answer. But one of the story that he gives is about a man that is going to Jericho. And he gets robbed. And this man gets robbed and he gets hurt and he's laying there on the side of the road. And then there are some people that walk by, and they decide, ooh, I don't know if I can help him. I don't know if I should get involved, right? This might turn, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what happened to him. It may happen to me. They were kind of scared, so they weren't sure. But there was one person that came by, and there was a Samaritan man. That's, where, that's, that's, his, that's his title in this lesson, a Samaritan man. And he came by, and he helped this person out. Why do you think he decided to help this person out? When everybody else walked by, what made you? What do you think made him help? What you think? Y'all aren't very talkative this morning. Why do you think he decided to help? 
Yeah, he decided that he was going to be, a, he was going to help that person out. He wasn't scared, right? He knew that he could help this person out. And he even went to a hotel and said, here's some, some coins, and you take care of this man until he feels better. He paid for him to stay at a hotel. That's pretty good, right? He even took some money out of his own pocket and helped take care of him. So we can learn from this. Jesus is telling us that if we help everybody, anybody that we see, regardless of what's going on, that we can have eternal life. That's one of the ways that we can do that. Do y'all ever help anybody out? You don't? You do? Do you? What do you do? How do you help them out? Oh, that's really good. Oh, you help wash the dishes and feed the animals? That's a good one. Maybe it's school. If somebody might be sitting by themselves, that's a good person to talk to, right? Say, hey, your, my name's Marnie. What's your name? <laughs> right? That's what you can say to them. You can introduce yourself. That's some way you can help them out. Yeah, the new kid. The new kid's kind of scared, aren't they? They're scared coming into a school. So you can be the person that helps them out. Because I know I've been the new kid before, and I have some good friends that even go to this church. And she stood up in the fifth grade and said, I will help this new girl out. And I'm still friends with her today. That was a long time ago. So that's something you can do. You can make a big difference in their life. Just like this Samaritan man, this good Samaritan made a big difference in this man's life that got robbed. Okay? Pretty cool? All right, will y'all pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you so much for the privilege and the honor to come here today and just learn more about you and learn about exactly how we should act to, better, to be better <coughs> Christians in other people's eyes and in yours. Amen. Please rise and turn to page 795 of your hymnal and read the Bible with me. Psalm 72. <coughs> Give the king your justice, O God. And your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness. And your glory with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more.
The man who's delivering the sermon today is our, our former pastor and current minister of visitation, John Rush. John has made an uh, impact in my life with uh, laughs when I needed it and comfort when I needed it. And in the area of prayer, I often quote him on this. He used to always say that it was both our, our duty and our privilege to pray for others. And I noticed in our bulletin that the largest paragraph, typed paragraph in the bulletin, is the list of people, and I'd ask you to look at that list right now, of people who have, that we have prayers and concerns for. And I'd like you to put those names of those people that you know and that you have a duty and privilege to pray for on your heart right now. As, as we go to God in prayer as a, as a congregation. I believe in the power of prayer, I've seen it work, and I believe in the multiplied power of prayer. So it's not just me standing here praying right now, it's gonna be all of us. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you. You've given us everything. You've given us the earth that we live in, the families that we enjoy, the health that we enjoy, and everything around us that we take in. We thank you for Jesus and for the example that he brought us in our, on earth. And we thank you for the miracles that he did, that we might know that in you all things are possible. We thank you for healing, and we thank you that there's a heaven out there that one day we'll find. Lord, we thank you for the people of this congregation. We thank you for those that are here, and we ask your blessings and your healing and your comfort on all those listed in our bulletin that need your loving touch right now. We ask, Lord, that you'll do the same for people that we know that are not part of this congregation, for those who are hungry, for those who have not found you, and for those in our families that are going through a period of stress. We especially ask you for strength for all those who are seeking work and can't find it. We ask you to help them keep on keeping on. Lord, we ask you to bless our schools and the children in them and the teachers who work there. Keep them safe. Help them expand the gifts that you've given them. Lord, we also thank you for the freedom, the freedom that we have to come here and worship without fear, the freedom that we have in this country that gives us safety things that we take for granted often, Lord, but we know that behind all of it, you are there. You have given us both life and breath through your Holy Spirit. And we come to you now as a congregation in prayer, remembering that Jesus came to his disciples and he taught them to pray. And he said, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give 
give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. At this time, I would ask our ushers to come forward and accept your tithes or your gifts to further the work of God in this community.
MacArthur for inviting me. He's invited me before. I have, starting the Sunday after I semi-retired, I've been serving one and sometimes two churches, and I volunteered to help some here. I didn't realize I was going to be listed as Minister of Visitation. I'm sure some of you may say, well, he hadn't been to see me yet, but uh, I try to do what I can in terms of volunteer activity. It's good to see so many people that I knew, and I'm glad to note some whose faces I do not know, not because I'm getting older and can't remember, but because you're new since I was here, and I'm glad to see that you're as well. I also think of a lot of people who were here at the beginning of my days, who before I left and since then have joined the church eternal, and it makes me realize at least that life is passing by for each of us. Thank you, Don, for being a part of the worship service today and for the choir as well. Our scripture lesson today is perhaps one of the most familiar of scriptures in the New Testament. Uh, the Gospel of St. Luke, the 10th chapter, beginning with the 25th verse. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hand of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. May God add his blessing to this our reading, hearing, understanding, and application of his holy word. Jesus participated fully in the life of the Jewish community while he was here on earth. In Mark, chapter 1, verse 21, it says that it was a Sabbath day and Jesus was in the synagogue to teach. The Sabbath day, which runs from Friday sundown till Saturday sundown, is the story that is told in Genesis of creation that on the seventh day, God rested. I would be led to believe that God did not rest because he needs rest. But I believe that he was giving it as an example and as a command to his creation. And since human beings are the ones who need to hear it most, he directed it their attention that we need a day for rest 
and to worship God. The rest of creation, I think, does not need instructions specific from God to tell them to rest. If you notice the other species, squirrels and cats and dogs, they do it naturally, not waiting for the Sabbath, but at various times during the day and in the evening. Cats didn't have to have any message at all because they rest most of the time. We humans have had a hard time resting and sometimes worshiping on the Sabbath or on other days. For there have been many inventions in modern life, such as electricity, which enables us to light up the night. Some people have the internet, and most all have phones, and now cell phones, which increasingly enables the, even the person in the most humble of circumstances in our world to be instantly available to any other person in the world who happens to have their phone number. We humans can travel very fast on an airplane to another time zone or zones, which also disturbs our rest as those of us who have been on such trips more. It seems in a way that the more things have been invented, which are here to help us save time and to have more leisure, the busier we become and the less time that most of us find ourselves spending in either rest and relaxation or in worship. So Jesus on the Sabbath almost always was to be found in the synagogue. The service at the synagogue at his period of time in life consisted of persons being together in a fellowship composed of a covenant community that had been instituted by God with Abraham. But a very important element of the worship service was to hear a reading from what we call the Old Testament. It was slowly unraveled, uh, unrolled, it was a scroll on leather, and one of the people in the congregation who was able to read was to read a portion of scripture each Sabbath in the presence of people. At the time that Jesus lived, most people spent, I think, a great deal more time paying attention when the scriptures are read publicly. Since there were no printing presses then, and almost no one could afford, if they were even available, to own a scroll at home. If you heard the scriptures read anywhere, you heard them read in the synagogue. And in the course of a year, you went through the course of scriptures that are found in what are called, is called the Old Testament. Jesus was present on an occasion when the scriptures were read, and he said they were being fulfilled in his own life. At other times, he spoke to crowds of people on the hillside, such as the Sermon on the Mount. And at other times, it is said, he taught as he walked along the road with his disciples and those who along the way had come to hear what he had to say. Ordinarily, we are told that he taught by telling a parable or a story, which usually is intended to trigger off a flood of memories in the persons who hear it. They would, I hope, think about experiences in their own lives which would enable them to relate to what Jesus was saying. Such was the case of our scripture lesson this morning. The lesson begins with someone identified as a lawyer or attorney asking Jesus a question. Asking questions is a part of the work of attorneys today as it was in the time of Jesus. 
questions are sometimes the way an attorney used to, uses to build a case and enables them to help those involved in their answers to help persons draw logical conclusions and win cases for a client. This lawyer or attorney asked Jesus a question. What must I do to, or that matter, what must anyone do to inherit eternal life? Jesus was not himself a lawyer, but as a part of his teaching style, he asked the lawyer a question in return. What is written in the law? By which he meant, what is the answer to be found in the scrolls of scripture? And which was, were given to Moses on Mount Sinai, the commandments especially. The commandments, we are told in the scripture, the only part of the Old Testament, which was written in stone on tablets, which made them difficult and heavy to carry about on a journey, but even more difficult to destroy or to break, at least in terms of the stone of the commandments. They were intended to be durable and unchanging. They are as important and as unchanging in our day as ever. And the fact that our culture does not respect the Ten Commandments has only contributed, I believe, to the breakdown of our culture and lives, an example of what happens when the commandments are not even known to many, let alone obeyed. The lawyer, in response to the question that Jesus asked him, knew the answer. We are, he said, to love God with all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our spirits, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus said to him, you've answered rightly. Do this, and you shall live. This is the same answer that Jesus had given when he had made a covenant with the community of Israel. Being a lawyer, the man probably pondered his response to what Jesus had said. The lawyer had very likely been a regular participant in the life of the synagogue in the community where he had lived. And he had probably observed on the surface that it is not difficult to see that most people who come to synagogue or in the Christian community to worship services are not prone to bad behavior, at least while they're in the service, which makes the early that makes it easy for us to understand what Jesus was trying to say. Even in our day, I've never noticed anybody misbehaving in a worship service. Oh, occasionally I or someone else may sing off key or be a word or two ahead or behind others as the Apostles' Creed or the Lord's Prayer is said. I have known a few people in the course of my life, none here of course, who have actually gone to sleep during a service of worship. Once when I was serving a church not a long way away from here and in which you don't know anyone, they had the pulpit in the middle of the altar area and there was a couple who sat right in front of me on the second row every Sunday. The husband must have felt comfortable with my preaching. I admit that he went to sleep almost every Sunday. But one Sunday, he began to snore rather loudly. His wife, maybe wanting to teach him a lesson, or I'm not sure what her motivation was, did the most improbable thing. She gave him an elbow in the ribs. And when she did, he snorted so loud that you could have heard him in the next block. 
I don't know, they may have come to words or blows after they got home. But in the nearly 50 years of ministry that I've been in in four different states in our union, I've never seen anyone hit someone else or run down the aisle and shoot the minister, although unfortunately you begin to read about that happening as close as Tennessee in the last few years. However, when I turn on the live local late breaking news, which comes on early in the morning, or again at noon or at six and 11, and probably the next day with the same news, it is usually not devoted to describing random acts of kindness, although now they do both on the national news and on some of the local news programs try to devote at least a minute or two to that occasionally. The six o'clock news is barely over before they often begin to interrupt regular programs, which basically are often seemingly indistinguishable from the news, which teases us about some awful event that has occurred in the area in which we live, but they never tell you very much except to say, stay tuned, the details will be at 11. One time I saw a cartoon that struck me as funny. It showed a newscaster interrupting a regular program to say, the world ends tonight, details at 11, which might make it a little late to try to do anything about it. So when Jesus told the lawyer that he had answered the question correctly and of how, how eternal life could be his, we can surmise from the response of the attorney that his troubles in life had probably not ever arisen in worship services, but in dealing with other human beings in ordinary circumstances of life with people he knew. Because he asked Jesus another question, and who is my neighbor? Maybe he was thinking that if he was, it was not obligatory to be nice to someone he didn't personally like, that maybe he could just avoid such persons. As was his usual way of teaching, Jesus told a parable or story which could help that attorney and us reach a conclusion that while we might not have to personally like any, everyone's behavior or attitude in life, that we do need to love everyone we meet as a result of God's loving us when we are yet sinners and as a mirror of God's love reflected in our lives. There are no doubt millions of people in the world whose behavior I do not like, but in whose presence I may never find myself. And therefore I can say without a doubt that I love people everywhere. In fact, most of the people that I love and that you love will probably live within a few miles of where we are at the moment. Is that not the point of what Jesus was trying to say to this lawyer? It is precisely those people whom we will encounter at a store or at a football game or on the road or at work. It reminds me of one time when I was here. I was down at that stoplight near front of where the Winn-Dixie store is now and I was behind someone and the light changed and they apparently were singing and not listening, or maybe they were listening to the radio, but they didn't notice that the light had changed. I always appreciate when someone is behind me or, and, and I do that and they tap the horn and let me know so that I could move on. 
But I tapped my horn lightly, and this fellow must have had some sort of tick. All of a sudden, his arm came up, and he lost control of his fingers on his hand. I, I don't know what happened. And so I decided I would never do that again. He looked like he was mad. So Jesus tells us the story of the Good Samaritan. And I think the emphasis needs to be, in parentheses, really needs to be around the word good. We don't even know the man's name. I believe the important part of the story is not who his name was, what his name was, but the fact that he was a Samaritan. The Samaritans and Jewish people were from a common racial stock and in many ways shared some points of their religious faith. But a fracture had occurred between the Hebrews and the Samaritans hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. When the Babylonians had captured the nation of Israel and especially its capital, Jerusalem, and they came in and systematically destroyed the city, the high walls around it were pulled down, rock and stone from stone. They destroyed the palaces of the king and they tore down that beautiful temple, one of the wonders of the ancient world that had been built by King Solomon and by the sacrificial gifts of the Jewish people. And they took them all off and the ones that they thought would be any trouble into captivity in Babylon. For some reason, the Babylonians had not bothered to carry any of the Samaritans into captivity with them. When the Hebrews were allowed to return, from Babylon, and they came back, described in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament. The ones who came back viewed a city totally in ruin, no wall to protect them, no houses to live in, and no temple in which to, which to worship. And so they set about systematically attempting to go among the ruins and pick out which rocks and stones could be used again and to start building. There were some people described in Ezra and Nehemiah who came and offered to help who really were not intending to help but to get them in trouble with the Babylonians. But tradition says that some of the Samaritans came down and offered to help. But their help and assistance was refused because they had not been in exile with the Jewish people in Babylonia. And so now they developed a bad feeling for one another. It apparently in the Middle East did not take much to cause the development of bad feelings. When we look today in Iraq and realize that the Sunnis and the Shiites are both of the same religion and of the same stock of people, they probably could not, well I take that back, they probably could tell us exactly what happened how many hundreds of years ago that caused them to not trust each other or to like each other. And so this was the way it had been for the Jewish people and for the Samaritans since that time when the temple was being rebuilt in the city. As far as the Hebrew people were concerned, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. And the Samaritans felt the same way about the Hebrews. So when Jesus told this parable or story, I really believe now that though I have preached countless sermons through the years, using what is the traditional approach to the Good Samaritan story, that I believe what was really occurring is that Jesus was introducing a whole new concept into the relationship between his people, the Hebrews, and the Samaritans. The Good Samaritan in the parable Jesus told was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
which, since he was a Samaritan, was a dangerous place for him to be, and he must have had some pretty good reason to think that he wanted to go on that road at all. Yet we are told that when he came upon someone who had been robbed and beaten and who was left there to die, that he stopped to offer assistance when several Hebrew people, some even ministers, had decided not to stop, but he crossed the road and passed by any help of the injured man. I believe that a part of this story might be that we can imagine that Jesus would say if this man, this Samaritan, was the kind of neighbor he was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho in helping a Hebrew person in a dangerous neighborhood, what kind of neighbor must he have been when he was back home? How kind and compassionate he must have been to those whom he met there in his home community. I think the lawyer got the point. Most of us probably do not know the people, unfortunately, who do live down the street from us. And in some instances, a lot of people cannot name who lives next door. While it's important to give to charities which, which assist persons in need, we need all to become more personally involved in being a neighbor in the sense that Jesus was talking about. If every one of us who is here today would decide during the course of this week that we would find in that prayer list that's in the church bulletin, or someone down your street whom you may know has had someone ill or laid off or has lost a loved one by death, or for any number of things that may be very disruptive in their life, if each one of us who are here today and it wouldn't hurt if we several of us chose the same person to say this is going to be the week. I'm going to be a neighbor to that person. If I'm on the other side of the world on a trip and I run into somebody who needs help, I may try to offer it there. But that's not where most of us are ever going to encounter personally people who need something. It may not cost money. It might. It may only cost your interest and concern. But Jesus tells us quite explicitly in this parable and in others that at the end of time, we will be judged based on how we have lived our lives and the impact that we have made on all of those with whom we come in contact, but especially those who may be under particular burdens at that time. So think about it. I hope that this week you and that I will pick out someone or some ones you can do more than one if you would like. Think of the impact that it would make in the life of that person, in the life of this church, and in your life and my life as well. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus gives us parables that can come up as different meanings in our life, but always with the thought that we are to reflect your goodness and love toward us and be merciful towards those whom we meet or whom we would seek out. We thank you for the support this congregation gives to community ministries and daily bread ministries and Greer Relief and other agencies that help people and for those who volunteer their time and talent there and for those who give their offerings. But let each one of us be led this week to find someone who may be directed our way that we can be a good Samaritan to, for them. 
We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let us pray. and communion of his spirit be upon us, rest within us, and live within us, both now and forevermore. (laughs) 